Uh, Chaz mentioned that I went to UCLA for undergrad. And uh, there was a time during my undergrad year, I think I was a junior, when I was seriously considering joining ROTC. Uh, My dad had been a career Navy guy. My brother had gone to the Naval Academy. And so I had this military background. And I kind of was toying for a couple years with the idea, you know, as you're in college and first two years, you just kind of don't know what you're doing. And you get a little more serious thinking, I'm going to be out of here in a couple years. And so I was toying, sort of batting around this idea of of, uh, going into the military, but via ROTC, you know, and sort of being able to enjoy UCLA and the the, the life I had there and then sort of join the program and and, uh, head off into a career uh, after I graduated, and so I went went to the went to the office, even got the paperwork, the application, and, and I had it. And I remember just kind of sitting in, in in my apartment for for quite a while. And then the you know then there's a deadline, and you have to make a decision. And I remember the closer it got to having to make a decision, you either you're either going to be in or you're going to be out, right? The, the cost, the weight of that decision started to really affect me. Because up until this time, I was kind of a, a single guy, undergrad, doing my thing in college, come and go, plan my schedule, do my social things, and I was the boss. And it got closer and closer, and I would look at the application, you read it, and, and, and the reality that the minute I give this to them, life as I know it is over, really started to, to, to challenge me at the core level. Like, you know, Richie, if you give them this, you're kind of giving them everything. It's not going to be business or life as usual once you cross the line and you're in. Right? Once you cross the line, you're sort of saying, my life is your life, ROTC. You tell me my schedule, and then when I graduate, you're going to station me somewhere and you know there'll be a command hierarchy but at the core what I was really struggling with at the heart level was giving up my life giving up the ability to make my schedule be on my terms that it was all about me I was on the throne and this paper represented giving that up now there was let's be honest there's benefits to that and like I said it's not all bad it wasn't a bad thing you know serving and there's benefits and it's a career so there's a lot of good but what, when I was weighing that out, you know what really struck me and why I didn't do that? At that stage in my life, I wasn't willing, I didn't want to give up my life. Kind of the, the direction that God had me going or, or that, that I thought I was going in a career and then I came to know the Lord and all of that and, and ministry. But, but that, that moment when, when the deadline came and I let it pass, uh, to be honest with you, because I wasn't. I knew it wouldn't be my life as usual, and I wasn't at that point willing to give the Navy my life, right? And, and I thought of that in light of what we've been studying in this covenant relationship with God. What does it mean to be in relationship with God, right? You often hear Christianity isn't a religion, it's a relationship. So I'll say, okay, so tell me about your relationship. Describe it to me, right? Define it. You know, if you've ever dated someone, you ever like someone, remember, liking, sending notes, getting your best friend to send a note, what did they say, 
Right? You remember those, right? And then you, you know, then you start talking. How many of you remember talking to someone you liked on a landline? On a landline, right? Tying up your whole family's mad because the landline has been. You remember those days, right? So you send notes and oh, kind of likes you, likes you, and then you know. Anyone ever ask anyone back in the day walk someone home? You ever walk someone home from school? I, right, that was a step. Walk someone home from school, you know. Ask someone to dance at the school dance, right? Ask someone out on a date, right? And so you have these relationships with people. And at a certain point, we often come to this place where it's like, what are we? What are we? Are we just friends? Are we buddies? Are we a thing? Right, right? Or, or his, are we exclusive? Right. And we come to this place in in human relationships where we at a certain point it comes. You have to define it, because if you don't define it, there's conflict, there's confusion. Right. I I didn't know you you thought we were exclusive. I thought I could still go out with people. Right. If you don't define it and you don't understand the terms of this relationship, a lot a lot of conflict and turmoil can happen. Well, as a Christian, if you don't understand the terms of your relationship with God, if, if you don't understand how God relates to you and how He wants you to relate back, you can, as a Christian, get tied up in all kinds of knots. Right? And weeks ago, we've almost been two months in this series on covenant, we asked, what kind of relationship do you have with the Lord? Is it, is it a casual Christianity? Is it just casual? Is it convenient? Right? Is it convenient Christian? Is it a contract Christianity where in your mind you're still like, okay, I do this and I don't do this, so then God does this and you don't. Right? Are you living in contract? What kind of relationship, if I were to ask you, okay, yeah, I, I agree, you're in relationship with God through faith in Jesus, but define that for me. And we've seen over the last two months, and, and, and we, we've spent so much time on this, and it's been so helpful for many of you to understand the word covenant. Everyone say covenant. Because if you didn't know that before you came, if you're new, it's a great time for you to join us. You're in a covenant with God. You are. God is a covenant God. And He's related to His people throughout history via covenant. And so we have spent, if you look at your sermon notes, you know, it's amazing how you try to put two months into half a sheet on one side. Of, of sermon notes, uh, I encourage you to go back, listen to the messages. They're on our website if you need to. But this covenant, right? And we've looked at these words, and I've shared with you before. Words are so important, and I just don't throw out Greek and Hebrew words just to say, "Oh, pastor knows Greek and Hebrew," right? No, because who's supposed to know Greek and Hebrew? Everyone, do this and do this. You are. You got to know these words. Because who do these words apply to? Do this and do this. Okay, right? So we saw that we spent time on this. In, in the New Testament, the word for covenant is diatheke, right? Everyone say diatheke. Some of you, you guys know this word already. So when God creates a covenant relationship with his people, diatheke means greater to lesser. A king to the people who aren't. The subjects, good, thank you. The subjects, right? So diatheke, God sets the terms. Here's the terms of my covenant. I'm setting it because I'm God. The subjects can either do one of two things. What can they do? Accept it or reject it. Is it open to negotiation? No. Right? 
And so, in a nutshell, we've got to understand you're in a diatheke covenant relationship with God where He's the greater, you're the lesser. He sets this incredible terms. Come to, come to faith in Jesus and here's all the blessings, but it's all on my terms. And that's the, that's the area of obedience. I said sometimes we struggle with obedience because there's another word called suntheki, where covenants were made between what? Equals. And so we, many times if you're struggling with obedience in your life, it's because you've put God as an equal. And you're trying to negotiate him with him on a suntheki. And it's not. It's diatheki. Greater to the lesser. I shared with you last Sunday that, that movie Jack and the Giant Killer. Some of you have seen that, right? They made this crown. And whenever the crown appeared, the giants stopped what they were doing and did what? And I saw that, and I'm like, diatheki! They saw the crown, and these huge giants in the middle of a battle freeze, and in the presence of the crown, they just do that. Submission. We're in a diatheki, loving, grace-filled, diatheki relationship with God. Greater to the lesser, okay? And then we had this other word, bereath. Right? Everyone say bereath. Right? That's the Old Testament word, and it was to cut. Remember that? We talked about a wedding ceremony, right? The walk of death in the Old Testament, cutting animals. And basically a covenant was like, we're going to stand between, right? The animals were cut in half, all this blood and guts right here. Two people make a covenant and they say, okay, we're going to, here's my vows, here's my vows. If I don't fulfill my vows, may it be to me the same as it's done to these animals. May I be killed, a curse upon me. So we saw that, when we're in covenant with God, it's a serious thing. It's a serious thing, right? We talked about in some primitive cultures the, the idea of blood brothers, right? Sharing blood. So, so we have this idea, diatheki, you see the word there is submission, right? Bereath, another S word, seriousness. And we asked the question those weeks, how serious do you take your relationship with the Lord? How serious? Because in the, in the Bible, when people heard that God was in covenant, right away all they thought was messy blood. All they thought was, if I don't fulfill my vows, may a curse be upon me. May I be killed. That's as serious as they take the word covenant. And the question for us in our time in 2014, how serious? Not somber cause, and not joyless because we have a lot of fun here. Amen? Right? We... I'm not talking being somber and, and, and you know, just, you know, I'm a Christian, right? Because I'm serious. Want to be a Christian, right? No, we're not talking being somber or joyless. We're talking, take it serious. How serious do you take covenant with God? Okay, so there's diatheke, there's submission, there's bereath, there's seriousness, right? And then we spent the last two weeks on hesed. I want to say hesed, right? We're talking about God's loving kindness, His mercy. And we saw in that, if we understand that, there's so much security. Whew! So much security that when we mess up, God just doesn't kick us to the curb. Right? Remember I shared with, with Daryl, right? And, and the illustration of there's a driver, older couple driving, Right? And, and the wife is driving, and the husband's way over there by the window, and there's this bench seat, and the husband turns to the wife and says, what happened to us? 
We used to be so close. We used to drive and, and sit next to each other. And, you know, I used to drive like this. Remember that, Ernie? used to drive like this with Sally, right? All that. But now Daryl's way over there. He's like, what happened to us? And Betty's like, I never moved. The driver never moved. And we are the ones that move. God doesn't move because His love is what? Steadfast. Steadfast. And so many of us, so many of us last Sunday, we looked at Hosea and Gomer. Remember that? Woo! Hosea, I want you to go marry a woman who's going to be unfaithful. And she's unfaithful and has kids potentially out of wedlock. She ends up at a slave auction. And God says, Hosea, now go buy her back. Woo! And some of us, we understood that we're Gomer. That in our life, we tend to wander and we can be guilty of spiritual adultery. And God in His steadfast love says, "Come, just come home. Just come home. I love you. Because why? We're in covenant. We're in covenant. And, and some, for some of you, that resonated so deeply. You should, someone shared just, you know, I had heard God love me, but I never heard it that way. Because we're so used to conditional love in our culture. I'll love you if, if, if. And along comes God and says, no, it's steadfast. I'm devoted to you. I'm devoted to you. That's a great word. I love that word devotion. You don't hear it much, right? Turn to someone next to you and say, God's devoted to you. He's devoted to you, right? Powerful word, right? And so if you flip over your sermon notes, we're just going to keep moving really quickly here. Again, we're doing like two months in 15 minutes of review. So we have this covenant relationship with God. And then if you look at the, uh, the second bullet, it says application, covenant relationships in the church. See, here's the radical thing. We have this relationship with God vertically. And I encourage you, look up all those verses. But we can't stop there. God says, no, now you're part of the body of Christ. And here's how the body of Christ is going to operate in covenant with one another. I love that one where it says submissions, Hebrews 5.21. Let's just turn there. Let's turn to Hebrews 5.21. I mean, Ephesians 5.21. Ephesians 5.21. Let's just go there. Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. How many books in the Bible? 66. Great. What does the word Bible mean? Book. How many in the New Testament? Ah, see, check you. Some of you thought I was going to say Old Testament. How many in the New Testament? 27. How many in the Old? 39. All right. Got to know our swords. Got to know the Bible. All right. Ephesians 5.21 says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's this wonderful thing, right? Diatheke, we're to submit to God. And then he says, hey, and by the way, believers, submit to one another out of reverence for me. You see how it goes like this? and goes right out. Isn't that an awesome? Isn't that an awesome verse? Right? Seriousness, right? Let's turn back one book. Galatians 6. Turn back a couple pages. Galatians 6. How does covenant play out in the church? So we, were, so we saw we're going to submit to one another. And then uh, he tells leaders and congregations how that plays out as well. Seriousness. Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, 
You who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fill the law of Christ. That's pretty serious. There's a seriousness to what we do here. In, 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 you know, underneath all the potlucks and, and men's retreat and men's breakfast and laughing, and it's just awesome. There's a seriousness to what we do. There's a seriousness that we're called to deal with sin. There's a seriousness about being willing to carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. That's a serious matter. Okay? And then security. Right? Let's turn to 1 John 4.11. 1 John. That comes after 1 and 2 Peter. To your right. All right? If you go to 2 John or Jude or Revelation, you went too far. 1 John 4. 11. Dear friends, since God so what? Loved us, we also ought to what? Love one another. So God has this Hesed love, this steadfast loving kindness, devotion to us vertically. And what does he call us to do to each other? All right, turn to someone next to you and say, I love you, man. I love you, man. Right? Right? See, here's the point. We have this incredible vertical covenant relationship with God where there's, it's based on, you know, there's submission, there's seriousness, there's security. And he says, hey, don't stop with just enjoying this with me. Now I want you to go out and be in covenant with each other as a local church body and the body of Christ as a whole as well. Okay? These other last points we're going to come back to. So that's where we've been. We've been looking at, we've been trying to define our relationship with God in terms of what word begins with a C? Covenant. Covenant. And these aspects, right? Diatheke, bereave, hesed. Absolute foundation to understanding how am I supposed to relate to God and how does He relate to me? Right? How does He relate to me? This last one, We're going to see this transition now. Let's turn to Matthew 26. Where Jesus, very familiar passage. We're going to look at two different passages and we're going to talk about it for a little bit. Matthew 26. Starting in verse 26. Matthew 26, 26. Right? Feast of unleavened bread, the Passover, familiar verses. Matthew 26, 26 says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. All right? And then we're going to read basically the same passage, but in Luke. So turn to Luke 22. Luke 22. All right, so we send some guys, they uh, prepare the Passover, 
right? Luke 22, starting in verse 13. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Okay? Read that again. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the what? New covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Okay. Familiar passages, if you've been in church any length of time, often read right before we take communion, right? But in the Bible, in, in light of covenant, something supernatural, something absolutely essential to understanding Scripture is happening in this conversation. Because Jesus is essentially saying there's something new being instituted. New. And that word new, okay, it means a new kind, unprecedented, never existed before. And I love that word new because when the Bible says you're a new creation, it means a new kind, unprecedented, never existed before. Turn to someone next to you and say, that's you. You're a new creation, unprecedented, right? Remember, I keep telling you over and over, Christianity is not about just putting new paint over old walls and all this. No, you're a new creation. You got to get that. You're a new creation, a new kind, unprecedented, never existed before. So Jesus is saying, hey, guys, we're at the Passover, and I got to tell you, there's a new covenant. There's a new covenant coming. And, and you know, we could spend a year on covenant, okay? And, and <laughs> I got 15 minutes. So here's the deal. What I want to encourage you, is, what we're going to focus on is this passage, because we're going to hear it through the, eye, the ears of, of what he says in this. Okay, let's look at it again. Verse 19, and he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Right? So two things are going on here. The Passover was celebrated to remember what? The Passover. Right? (laughs) The Passover was celebrated when the Israelites were freed from where? Egypt, right? They killed the lamb. And what what did they do with the blood? Put it over the doorpost, right here, over the doorpost. And the the, the angel of death came, and what did he do? He passed over. Houses that had blood, right? So that's Passover. It was designed to commemorate Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Okay? That was the context of of what they were going to do. Now, think, think about it. Jesus had been with his guys for a few years. And before he even met them, they had been doing Passover. You get, there's history here. They know what it's about, traditionally, historically. It's about, oh, yeah, that Passover. We're going to do it again. It's when our people were set free from Egypt. You get what I'm saying? All of a sudden, Jesus comes out and says, hey, um, guys, verse 19, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, 
This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They're like, what? What? Because see, in Deuteronomy, it says this. Do not eat it with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste. See, when they ate the bread during Passover, it was unleavened bread, and it symbolized that they just left Israel really quick. That's why it was unleavened bread. The bread was symbolizing how fast they had to leave Egypt. You get that? That's the context, right? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. It's no longer about you leaving Egypt. It's about my body. And these guys are like, so you're telling us, Jesus, that hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition and law, you're just saying are done? All these years are done? And you're saying no longer is this bread about unleavened bread and us leaving really quickly from Egypt? It's about your body? You've got to understand, these guys are reeling. Here's a man saying, all that you know is ending. And in fact, it's not just ending. All that you know is really about me. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he goes here, he says, right? So he gave it, he says, do this in remembrance of me. He says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So in the Passover, when they had wine, what was that supposed to uh, remind them of? The blood on the door. Very good, Candy. The blood over that, right? And he says, no, 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 no. It's not about that sacrificial lamb anymore. It's about me and my blood. So you've got to understand, these guys are sitting there and they're just like, what? What is going Are you hearing this? Hey, are you hearing what he's saying? The bread's about his, his body? And, and, and the blood's about his blood? What is going on? What is going on? And, 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 and it's literally just... You know, it's hard unless you, you sit on it, you kind of think about, it was nuts what he was saying. It's a new covenant. It's a new covenant. Never existed before. And in fact, everything in Old Testament was pointing to this very moment. And I'm telling you, it's here. Okay? And, and it's interesting where it says there, look in, um, in the verse, it says, uh, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, in some versions, I believe it's the New King James, that word poured is shed. If, you, if you're comfortable writing in your Bibles, if you have poured, you might want to put shed. Because poured, we tend to think of like a little cup, right? It's poured out for you. No, the word shed, the word picture is violent death. Sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, hey, here's what's going to happen. The old covenant is going away. I'm going to die. And my blood is going to be shed. I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb. I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb. Now, blood, it's very important where it says my blood. Blood is super important. Okay? Because in 17, you don't have to turn this, Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life, right? The blood was important. The life was in the blood. Here's the deal. Blood had to be shed. Because when blood was shed, it proved that there was death. 
That's why blood... You might think, how come Jesus, they just couldn't hit him over the head? Think about that, right? He didn't die of just... And no blood. Blood had to be shed because according to the Bible, life is in the blood. Right? Life is in the blood. And he's like, this is my blood. It's going to be shed for you. And think about this, okay? These are guys who, have, who, who know Scripture and know Passover. Up until that time, where did the blood come from? Animals. This is the first time that it's going to be human. And it's going to be Jesus' blood. Radical. These guys are like, what? What? So the old system is done. It's a new covenant. It's about Jesus' body. And it's about his blood being shed and all the images they have of, of animals being sacrificed and all the, just the, the really horrific graphicness of what they would have experienced are all being put on him now because they understand what he's saying. Right? And here's, here's the crazy thing about this. And, and, and it's really interesting. Think of all the animals that used to be sacrificed, right? A lot of them probably had no clue what was coming. And probably a lot of them may have resisted, right? Come on! Right? When the Bible talks about Jesus being sacrificed as the Lamb of God, what was his heart and mindset? Was it like, come on? What was it? He went willingly. Ah, oh, he went willingly. Let's look at some verses. We're just let let God's word uh, speak to us. Let's look at um. Let's go to John. Right, one book to the right, John chapter ten. John chapter ten. Verse 17. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. These verses, let's turn to John 15. A couple of chapters to your right. John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I told you before when we were looking at um, the seriousness, when, when people went through the covenant ceremony, the blood, and became blood brothers and made all their vows, at the end of that they were called friends. And friends has such a powerful biblical meaning. It means friends of the king. It means you come right into the court. You're a friend of the king. When Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, that means you're a friend of the king. You're in. And in verse 15, uh, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You see, I, 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 I really felt, and, I, and, I, and I'm not saying we don't, but when you hear Jesus sacrifice his life, Jesus died for us. We, 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 we get that and that can feel us, could get to us at a certain point. But as I've been looking at these verses and understanding that he willingly did it, I don't even, I, sometimes I don't even know what, what to say. 
He didn't go kicking and screaming. He went willingly. He went willingly. Galatians, you don't have to turn there. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who, what, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Jesus is saying to his boys, hey, the old covenant, the thing at Mount Sinai where you, you know, ratified in blood and all this, that, it, it, that's done. The new covenant is about my, my body and my blood that's about to be shed sacrificially. And, and I want you to know, guys, I'm doing this willingly because I love you. I'm doing this willingly. I'm offering. I'm laying down my life because I love you. Because I love you, right? I've had some conversations with some people as we've been going through covenant. And one of the challenges that, that people have shared with me is I understand it, I hear it, but it's hard for me to believe it. It's hard for me to really believe it for me. And here's what I want to encourage you with. What we celebrate on Good Friday and Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, now willingly, now that you understand communion better, now that you understand His heart, right? Now that you understand why it had to be blood. How many of you believe Jesus actually died on the cross? You believe that? Just no doubt you believe it. Okay. Keep that thought in mind. Okay. Turn to Romans 4. Romans 4.25. This is a verse you may want to write on your notes. I didn't... I didn't get a chance to add it. Romans 4.25. He was delivered over to death. He's talking about Jesus. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Okay, that's, that, that's Good Friday and Easter in one verse. Now, what that, the, the, the verse that's really important for all of us, where it's this phrase in there, he was raised to life for our justification. How many of you believe Jesus rose from the dead? Okay, now we all get that Jesus rose from the dead so we can have eternal life. And all. But let me explain the importance of the resurrection. Because Paul says if he didn't raise from dead, right, we're, our faith is futile, right? That verse in Romans 4.25 says this, When God raised Jesus from the dead, it was his stamp of approval that the price had been paid on Good Friday. That's what it means. He was raised for our justification. It means Jesus' sacrificial death, the debt he paid that we owed when God raised him from the dead, it was proof, demonstration, that God accepted that payment. They go hand in hand. Do you guys understand that? So if you're having trouble receiving covenant love, hesed, all this kind of stuff, here's what I want you to do. I want you to spend time putting it from here to here that Jesus really died on the cross and Jesus really rose from the dead. If you settle those two, everything else follows after that. Do you understand what I'm saying? If Jesus died on the cross, his blood was shed, and he paid the debt that we owed, right? Okay, so he did that. He was offering a sacrifice. But was that sacrifice received? 
Was that enough? He rose. And on the basis of the resurrection, we know Jesus' payment was what? Received. And in John 19.30, write those famous words, it is finished. A few, word, a few meanings that it is finished. It's an accounting term. Debt, it, it is paid. But it also means it is finished. What that meant was the old covenant is done. When Jesus died and everything he talked about was going to happen in the Lord's Supper, when his body was broken and his blood was shed, when he died, the old covenant ended then. It is finished. And we get to enjoy the new covenant. We get to enjoy all the blessings of God. We get to enjoy being His children, new creations, everything we've been talking about for three and a half years. We get to enjoy that on the basis of a new covenant based on faith in who? Jesus. God says, here's a covenant. Diatheke, put your faith in Jesus. Here's what you get. It's unilateral. All we have to do is receive it by faith in Jesus. You receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, boom, child of God, new creation, justified, regeneration, filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? All of that. And Jesus said, it's because the old covenant's done. There's a new covenant. And whenever we take communion, we remember that. But here's the thing. Whenever you take communion and you hold those cups, we also remember we're in covenant. We're in a new covenant. Amen? It's a wonderful thing. We remember Jesus, but please remember that through Jesus, you're in a wonderful new covenant relationship with Him. Amen? Oh, isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And we're going to continue to go next week. We're going to talk about more. How, how does that play out? You're going to hear more next week. How, how does it play out in the church body, this covenant relationship? What does that mean? But today what I wanted to do was just something a little different. The band's going to come up. We're going to sing just a really great song that speaks to the truth of what we've just been hearing through God's Word. You guys come up. And here's what I want you to do. Don't focus so much on trying to sing the song or learn the song. What I really would like you to do is understand God's incredible love for you. Understand, and, 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 and maybe this is the heart and this is what God has spoke to me this week. Understand what it means that Jesus willingly, willingly went to the cross. Willingly. He wasn't kicking and screaming. It wasn't begrudgingly. It was okay if I have to. It was, no. I'm there. And if you've ever wondered, does God really love me? He loves you this much. And if you've ever wondered, well, I put my faith in Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Is that real? Is it legit? Is is everything the Bible says about me true? Did it really pay the penalty for my sins? Yeah, because he rose from the dead. And those two historical facts in history should help these truths go from here to here. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, Thank you for your love. Jesus, you said that you were instituting a new covenant. Your body and your 
blood that was shed willingly. And as we sing this song, may you minister to our hearts. And if you're here and you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, maybe you understand it more clearly. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. If you're here, you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. The Bible says put your faith in Him. He is the object of your faith. His finished work. And the finished work of God raising Him from the dead. The invitation is there for you to receive and embrace the new covenant in Jesus' blood.